It's not fidelity. <laughs> Is this a 1985 Bears? That's a great question, JD. Chicago Bears? Chicago? No, no, it's not. Oh. These are the superstars of the AWA or the American Wrestling Association doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble to promote Wrestle Rock 86 in Minneapolis. We all remember Wrestle Rock 86, right? Mm. I remember the 85 Chicago Bears, the greatest defense of all time. That's not the question I asked. I remember, I, not. I remember 1986. No, what okay. a year. That's pretty good. The Challenger had exploded previously in, in a previous year. And, well, and uh, the Chicago Bears had released... Uh, no, they won the Super Bowl. Stop maybe. ruining yes. the song, you guys. Uh, yeah, Let me tell ahead. you about yeah. it. This song is directly ripped off from the Super Bowl shuffle. For ruining this song. That's not our fault. Well, listen, the Wrestle uh, Rock 86, it was a super card that was supposed to help the AWA compete with the monster that was the WWF. It didn't. And I'm in a rage. <laughs> Nevertheless, it gave him. My God, the Chicago Bears are better rappers than these guys. These guys are all old. Uh, nevertheless, it gave a perfect genre name to the music of professional wrestling. Uh, an oft-overlooked niche in the music biz. Uh, I wonder why that could be. Well, you see, wrestling's fake. Oh, yeah, okay. That's, that's, a, that's the thing. And it's been said that the only thing real in wrestling is the money and the miles, but today I'm here to tell you that there was something else that was real. The music. I got a little tear in my eye. Yeah. yeah. Listen to that terrible try and rap. Wait, it's not... We heard it. Yeah. yeah. Wait, listen. Oh, no, this is the best guy. Is that Bobby Heenan? No. That's He's at least on the beat. Okay, yes, that's the best one. That's Nick Bockwinkle. He was the... He was... <laughs> you made that up. No. You're making all this up. No, that's Nick Bockwinkle. He was probably the oldest... One of the oldest wrestlers on the card, but he was the best. Had uh, blonde hair, wore a lot of golden suits. Guy was all class. Yeah, that's the Bockwinkle style. <laughs> uh, so today, that's the Bockwinkle pledge. So uh, this this try and rap, this is real. So today I'm bringing you the realest of the real on our first and perhaps only dive into Wrestle Rock. I'm Please. gonna give you haven't listened to any of these songs, Steve. Oh, I'm too busy. I oh. went to Cubs games. I went to a baseball game. I can't listen to an hour of music. I went to two baseball games. These are like two-minute songs. Anyways, yeah, I found so you stop, drunk stop. at a Smith's uh, tribute band show. Stop complaining. That was the night before the game. Anyways, Wrestle Rock. I'm going to give you the songs. Uh, in our first show on Wrestle Rock, I'm going to give you the songs done by the pros themselves. These are what I like to call shoot songs. And maybe a little later, I'll eventually tell you what the hell that oh, means. Oh, boy, more wrestling lingo. Yeah. Hey. Hell of a segue, JD. I'm the king. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We're a podcast that creates new musical genres every week, counts them down, the top hits in that genre from 10 to 1. My name is JD Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave Hunter. And because we invented the term Yacht Rock with our web show of the same name, we like to throw a bone to you Yacht Rock fans out there and feature a Yacht Rock song in every single episode. So Dave, what are we listening to here? Well, having been recently made aware that many of my bone throws are not exactly Yacht Rock boat makers... I've decided to go back to what works. Bone throwing Toto. Mm-hmm. Wait, is that out yet? What? No. It's, it's not. not. Okay. 
that when we go over See, our... I do it oh, first, yeah. so it sounds like I'm making fun of myself. Ah, gotcha. Well, enjoy that, everybody. So, in an attempt to make the boat of the Rock of Yachts, here's a little jam off their first album called Rock Maker, and listen to who's involved in making said yacht rock. The members of Toto. Mm -hmm. Every single one. Yep, they're all here. You got 1978, you got personnel, the members of of Toto. Of course, you've got that sound. We haven't really talked much about the first album, but you really hear where the Hold the Line started. Probably with the track Hold the Line, which is previously on this album. In conclusion, the world of Toto is a complex one, and I, for one, am excited to go back to the beginning. The beginning of Toto. The album Toto from 1978. It's a good bone throw. That's a good third grade book report. Dave went to three baseball games this week. Um, See, it's not just me. I did go to a basketball game. He did. A preseason basketball game. Oh, boy. He sent me the picture. Yeah, courtside, Lakers versus Clippers. Uh, That's more important because he doesn't even give a shit. All right, well, listen, this song is called... Bullshit, he loves it. This song is is called Rock Maker. It's about people who make rock and roll music, so it's sort of like biographical. These Toto were pretty much teens at this time. They were a a teen rock group. Lukather was, right? Lukather was very young. He was 19 20. The oldest one is Hungate. He's like 10 years old than Lukather. And he um, always had gray hair. Yeah. But this is called Rockmaker, so you expect it to be super rocking, but it's kind of just kind of gentle. Yeah. It's got a really it, nice... it rocks you gently. Yeah. It's got a really nice bounce. Bobby Kimball's really nailing background vocals here. He doesn't sing no. lead in this. No, he's uh, yeah. nailing background vocals and uh, maybe a keyboard. Yeah. Really nice, really nice entry on the whole of the line, Dave. It's, well, thanks. It's rocking just enough, but it's gen- it's certainly gentle with a nice piano bounce. Yeah. But I, I really did listen to this whole album today while I was uh, trying to write for the episode, so please excuse my lack of thoughtfulness uh, later on. But, Are you saying um, instead of listening to the songs I picked, you listen to this album? No, uh-huh. because I was in my office and I, I put this song on and then I got pulled away and the whole album ended up playing. Well, it was a great, it was a great part. But no, I listened to your songs. Okay, great. And Steve's I knew, on, I knew a handful of them. Yeah. We should change the name of the podcast to Excuses Why We Didn't Do Work on Each Other's Podcasts. That should be the name of the podcast. Now, Are you ready to get into this genre? Yeah. Sure. All right, cool. You hear this? Not only is this one of the greatest songs of all time, this is the greatest wrestling theme of all time. It's effective, it sounds awesome, it doesn't need any words, that this guy Jake the Snake Roberts is all business. He sounds like Knight Rider. Just, just sounds like he stepped over to the best part. Uh, You know, Jake the Snake, he'll probably hit a DDT, he'll probably drop his snake on you, he'll drink an 80s cold one in the back. This song says it all. As a purist, I think you really don't need words to convey the character. Nevertheless, in my eyes, there are three types of professional wrestling themed songs. Pause before you get into them. An 80s cold one? Is that just a beer that you drink in the 80s? Yeah. Okay, like, cool. a, like a right. Coors yeah, fresh yeah, from like a, a silver bullet. Either that or he's a... Uh, you head for the mountains of yeah. Bush. Either that or it's an octogenarian gravedigger. Mm, I just want to... <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing a wrestling term or grave digging. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, no, no. It's, I'm, I'm in support of questions today. Uh, so, in, so you have instrumentals like this. When done right, this is pure. Uh, you have legit pop songs like Hulk Hogan using Eye of the Tiger or the Road Warriors using Iron Man. These songs are supposed to fit the character, but most importantly, give them a legit rock and roll rub. Yeah. 
Uh, and then number three, you have songs made to sound legit, but only existing in the world of professional wrestling. These have lyrics created uh, for and tailored specifically for a certain character. For instance, Hulk Hogan probably has the most famous one with Real American, which was originally the U.S. Express. Yeah. But it worked because nationalism fit a whole bunch of characters, including his. Yeah, I even I remember that song. I don't give a shit about wrestling. Exactly. So, but uh, today we're going to focus on one of the specific, uh, a very specific type of version three. Not only these are the original song, our original songs, but the wrestlers actually sang them, which adds an extra dimension or two, like this song. Stand back. Yeah. Is this the uh, the chorus of three black lady wrestlers? Is that is that? What... Uh, this is actually JD. This oh. is. Uh, Should I continue to listen? Yeah, in a okay. second. This is actually uh, well. Is this, is this a horn playing wrestler? Is that a player that wrestler that plays the horn all the time? This is live from New York. <laughs> it's a Saturday night's main event. Is that Lenny Pickett? Uh, so this is WWE billionaire owner Vince McMahon singing "Stand Back." Uh, you can hear the extra dimensions in this. One uh, is that. When a wrestler, and he's not technically a wrestler, but, you know, he's in, he's he in the some wrestling. He did, he did. He, he wrestled did. our president. <laughs> yeah. Why uh, didn't we elect this guy president? I don't know, because this one's too ruthless. Uh, one is that when a wrestler sings a song, it further personalizes the idiosyncrasies of said character. Like Vince, he's a ruthless businessman who will destroy anyone in his way. And he sells it like only he can. By being a ruthless businessman who will destroy anyone in his way. And that's what he's talking about. Which leads us to another dimension. These mostly suck. Which is hilarious. Oh, I never could have guessed that. Yeah, and uh, it, that really works for heels, which are the bad guys. Or fun time party dudes, or party faces, which are the good guys. I have a question, Mr. Yeah. Hunter. Um, why are they called shoot songs? Okay, great question. Does this have to do with a lot of insidery wrestling lingo? Yeah, he's going to explain it. Shut yeah. up, Steve. Okay. Uh, it's a great question, and I probably should have addressed it by now. But a shoot in wrestling is basically making something real. It's often referred uh, referred to in promos with real-life drama or a fight in which they actually start, like, hitting each other. Uh, you see, it comes from the great Carney tradition of straight shooting, which referred to the target shooting game uh, when they forgot to rig the gun. Uh, and, and and I don't know if you know anything about wrestling, but it's basically a carny tradition. Okay. Yeah, oh, people I... people really mark out for it. Is that right, Hunter? They do. They mark out for wrestling. Yes. They do. Uh, I learned a term. <laughs> and, I want everybody to know that. And so since they're actually singing these songs, I'm going to call them a shoot. Uh, so I also noticed in this song there seems to be uh, rock and electric guitar toward the end. We're hearing it now. Are these songs full of electric guitars, or will we be hearing a more eclectic collection of sounds? Well, there'll be lots of guitars. It'll be eclectic, uh, but it, it's mostly instrumentation that, say, one decently talented dude could do. So, a lot of keyboards, simple beats, generic pop hooks, nothing too experimental. Okay. okay. No prog. Uh, this is one of the songs I knew from beforehand. This is from the Pile Driver album. Yeah. Which I assume is going to come up later. Yeah. And then, you know, in addition, it will. And in addition, these songs are almost all short, sweet, and personally hilarious. So enjoy. All right. All right, you ready to get started? Let's count them down. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. It's a sexy one. 
Starting us off, this is a little ditty by uh, for a three-man boy band slash tag team. Oh, uh, no wonder it's sexy. Called Three Count with You Can't Get... <laughs> I Can't Get You Out of My Heart, or Can't Get You Out of My Heart. This was written by Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart and, and uh, possibly Howard Helm. I can't confirm. Who's Howard Helm? I'll tell you about him later. Okay. Uh, there's surprisingly little info about this song and many, uh, most of these songs on the countdown. That certainly is a surprise to uh, me. <laughs> but uh, three, three Count formed in WCW in 1999 as it was rocketing downward into bankruptcy. Uh, this is a good song, but it's number 10 because I'm not 100% uh, sure they sang it. They sang their other theme songs for sure uh, because they were so bad, but this one is slightly better, but still bad enough that I'm pretty sure they sang. Uh, but I do know that they did lip sync this on uh, on a couple shows. So. Well, it does sound like a working man's Millie Vanilli. Yeah, I mean, take it from me, wrestling and singing at the same time is very difficult, so you had to excuse three count for lip syncing every now and then. Um, oh, I got another question. Oh, you got another question. Uh, never mind, you already answered it. I was I was curious as to when they wrestled, but you already answered Okay, go ahead. Continue. Well, well yeah, but to give you a little more background, okay. this would be technically the Attitude Era, um, and at the tail end of what would be known as the Monday Night Wars, when WWF and WCW shows went head-to-head, ultimately trying to put one of, one of, one of another uh, out of business. Uh, these guys came as WCW was about to lose, essentially. Okay, okay. Um, so some more business to do on this song. First, Jimmy Hart wrote the next four songs. So I'll get wow, to him what a multi-talented individual. And uh, second, I didn't choose any songs today that were performed by wrestlers who are currently active. Except maybe these guys. This might be it. Three Count was a cruiserweight team of Evan Courageous, Shane Helms, and Shannon Moore. Love Wait, his names, last right? name is Courageous? Uh, probably not. I'm, I'm not going to give you their real names. I'm going to give you their wrestling names. Uh, they were all pretty young at the time when they did this, and I think uh, now they're at the tail end of their careers if they're still doing it in the indies. Uh, anyways, anything? Any, any oh, other questions? Is this Glenn Medeiros? Well, who's Glenn Medeiros? <laughs> he's, he's, you get it. <laughs> it's a deep reference. Steve gets Steve. He, well, yeah. No, what's, uh, it's, what's Steve the song that gets the shtick Steve's doing today? Um, okay, well, I mean, speaking of young... I know Glenn Medeiros. What's the song he did? She Ain't Worth It with Bobby Brown. No, there's another the, one. You know, the ballad is uh, Nothing's Gonna Change My Love For yeah. You. Yeah, Nothing's Gonna Change My Love For oh, okay. You. It sounds real wussy, kind of a thin voice. And a bit of a firekeeper. These guys sound like NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys, right? That's the shtick. But I, and I will say, there's a really smoking relevant trying rap in here. Uh, the rapper's really fucking up the microphone with his rhymes. His rhymes are so sick on this, boys. They make an ER waiting room clear the fuck out, am I right? That's how sick his rhymes are. He walks in with his rhymes in an ER, and everybody's like, listen, help this guy out. We're going home. See, guys? This is what happens when you actually do some work yeah. on the show. Yeah, <laughs> you see? You see, I started riffing on that, and I wrote a few things. Um, I, don't, I don't care. Yeah. No, you should have just said them. Now that you've teed it up, I don't want to hear Are you ready for number nine? No, no, okay. no, no. Howard Helm. Remember I mentioned Howard Helm and you asked about it? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know for sure, but I don't think I'll get a chance later. So, so I want to talk about Helm just briefly. Helm is a keyboardist and was based in Tampa during WCW area, era and was uh, relatively prolific. He also was in the metal band Iced Earth. 
Oh. I thought Steve would like that. Yeah, that, oh. that, that, Iced Earth is a legit metal band from Florida. It was like a, like kind of the firekeepers of uh, straight up American power metal and in the he, '90s. He does not look like he was part of Iced Earth. <laughs> Okay, so I got a question. Uh, I have a question for you fellows, mm -hmm. if you want something to participate in. I want you to try to figure out, by the end of the song, whether or not these the guys who are singing them are good guys or bad guys. Okay, okay. Three count. What do you think those guys were? Bad good guys. guys. No, they're good guys. I think they're, they're bad guys. They're bad, they're guys. bad guys because wrestling fans don't like in sync and Backstreet Boom. Boys. Boom! This guy, oh, this guy knows. Okay. Yeah, you gotta right. know. Okay. You gotta know your things. Like you, you know, you got a your big fat hillbilly who likes wrestling or comedian Ron Funches who likes wrestling. Who's a, a black guy with a high voice? Or a bunch of our Channel 101 friends who love wrestling yeah. and spend hours talking about it at parties. You don't like the Backstreet Boys. You don't like Insane. Yeah, you don't like 98 Degrees. So Big Fat Hillbilly uh -huh. would be a good guy. Yes. I'm going to tuck that away yeah. for later. Because <laughs> okay. he's a real American. I get it. Like Derringer. No, he is the people in the audience, it doesn't American. matter. They're not. They're neutral. Like, this is a fun game. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear fun facts about this song okay. now. You, okay, that's good. Uh, so, here's another Hearts song with J.J. McGuire, who appears to be Hearts' writing partner. This one is sung by uh, German Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright, and called Just oh. a Heartbeat Away. Uh, and just so you know, JD, this for whatever reason this one ends about like 15 seconds, just dead stop. Oh, okay. So, so I'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, I want to paint a, uh, a picture of Alex Wright here. Does anybody know Alex Wright? I doubt it. Nope. Uh, get this guy. Get this guy's tongue an easel and a bunch of paint. Okay, here we go. Imagine a sexy hunk in a speedo. Uh huh. With a slight vanilla ice haircut. Okay. Okay. Right. Now, then imagine looking in the mirror in college. Then no. imagine this dude has a. There it is. This dude has a sweet Ramones Perfecto biker jacket. Okay, still Dave in college. And when he gets to the ring, he dances to this Euro disco, disco song with his arms over his head while thrusting around the ring. That's pretty much me in college, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> except I was at a waiting pool in my front yard next to a sign that said free shampoos. <laughs> <laughs> well, without the shampoos and more German, this, this is Alex Wright. And uh, just a reminder, his defining characteristic was German. Yeah, he'd be, yeah. He be slinging that knockwurst and curry all over the ring, son. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I'm in Stuttgart listening to Kraftwerk. Yeah. <laughs> so this uh, this one is number nine uh, because while it's listed as his theme song, I never heard him come to the ring with it. Uh, it was always more generic. It was just pew, 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 yeah, that yeah, as he thrust his yeah. hips to each pew, yeah. Uh, but I found this on a rare CD called WCW Christmas Brawl 96 and only distributed in, in, in Germany during a tour. Yeah, it just goes to show eventually everybody will do a Christmas album. So, so I'm pretty sure this had to be his theme while in Germany. Also, uh, it must be noted that uh, Alex Wright's finest moment was in uh, WCW video game Thunder when he delivered a career-defining promo in, in which he pr promises a... Hell of a, a victory 
<laughs> look it up. I, I gave you guys a link. Yeah. I, oh, well, mm. before you gave the link, I tried to look it up, and what I found was an ad for a different video game, a WCW versus NWO video game for the Nintendo 64. It was, it's from the mid-90s or the late-90s. It cost $69.99. Video games today cost $10 less than that. And there's a 1-800 number to call at the end of the order. So let that thing sink in. With inflation, that would, the video game would cost $111 today. For a wrestling video game, and you had to order it by calling a 1-800 number, and you guys think things suck this year. I'll 2017 is not so bad in context. I had that video game, <laughs> and you could just buy it in the store. Uh-huh. I think they probably ran another commercial during uh, like the, the wrestling uh, sports oh, matches. at night when the adults yeah. with their credit cards could call. Yeah, or the kids with the adults' credit yeah, cards. And everybody's drunk and like, yeah, I'll get yeah. that game. I, I might still have that somewhere. It was a badass game. I should sell it. It was really good. We could finance a tour. Yeah. Okay, guys. Here's the question. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Good guy. Oh. What? But he's German. And he's a feminine. Uh, he, he eventually became a bad guy later. Oh, yeah, see? But see, he was a fun time party boy in this one. Okay. Uh, That's why he danced. Oh, yeah, he oh, okay. could go to Don Centrum in Stuttgart. Yeah, yeah okay. he, was a, he was a... He, he did a... Hey, look at me! Uh-oh. I'm dancing, I'm a good... And I'm he was into... Flipping and stuff. He was into women and stuff? He, like, partying I don't women. know, possibly, but he ended Never up being... up. He ended up Never becoming a bad guy, and he was named Berlin. Oh. He shaved his head and, and went with a dark goatee. What a world. Yeah? I have a question. <laughs> Is... Is wrestling fandom as nerdy as it seems, or did I just develop that impression based on the people I know in L.A. who love wrestling? Right now, it is definitely probably the nerdiest it's ever been. I mean, it's always been nerdy, yes. Okay. But right now, it's extremely nerdy. So it's one of those things like, kind of like heavy metal, where if you look at it from a, a casual distance as an outsider, it's like, oh, yeah, this is all about, you know what it is on the surface, but when you dig deeper into it, it's like, oh, this is super fucking nerdy. Yeah, before you were just a loser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you can be popular, a, a popular nerd. And love wrestling. Yep. And and most of these songs come from basically I think all of these songs come from basically the two most popular points in wrestling. So it wasn't that you weren't that big a loser. Like the like is that the eighties and the late nineties? It was the late eighties, early nineties, and then the late nineties. Okay. Or mid to late nineties. Ninety six, beyond. Anyways, okay, this is a classic. Basically we got a heel character Oh shit. I told you the answer. I was oh. gonna guess good guy. Oh, man. Because listen to how fucking American this is. Yeah. Well, basically, we have a heel character built on being Elvis. I gotta... Damn it. It's okay. Would have been a fun discussion. We got a lot more. And, and well, this song, Cool, Cocky, Bad by the Honky Tonk Man, I think he really nails it. And Steve, this is why. He's not just American. Uh-huh. He's cocky. And he's cool, he's cocky, and he's bad. So he's a bit of a... Oh, uh, he, he comes off as an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> a mal vivant, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, I looked up the Honky Tonk Man. His real name is Roy Wayne Ferris. So That's he, a great name. If he wasn't an Elvis-themed wrestler, he probably could have been a serial child murderer-themed wrestler. Thank you. Thank that you. was actually Doink the Clown. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. 
Uh, this is so. This is another Jimmy Hart creation, and but it's probably his most nearest and truest to his sound. Uh, Hart the was, trademark Jimmy Hart sound. Uh, Hart was born in Jackson, Mississippi, and went to high school in Memphis, Tennessee, with uh, with one Jerry the King Lawler, who you might know he crossed the cultural zeitgeist by fighting Andy Kaufman. Of course. Yeah, you said Memphis, Tennessee, and I immediately heard that in Andy Kaufman's voice without knowing where you were going. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> like when he was making fun of Jerry Lawler. Yeah. yeah. I'm Jerry Lawler from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Good guy or bad guy? Andy Kaufman? Yeah. Oh, he was a heel. Yeah, there you go. Uh, absolutely. A lot of it depended on where you were. See, right. yeah. If, if Jerry Lawler went to New York, he'd, he'd be the heel. Yeah. And, but, but anyways. <laughs> uh, so Hart was originally in the, uh, in the Gentries out of uh, Memphis, who of are mostly known for their hit Keep On Dancing. Oh, We okay. talked about that. We've mentioned that a, a few couple times. times yeah. And I've forgotten it completely, so thank That's you amazing. for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Amazing that you've forgotten that. We've mentioned it yeah. many times. I intentionally didn't write it because we've said it so many times. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting old, and I'm becoming the absent-minded professor that I am descended from. Uh, so <laughs> Hart would later become one of the greatest wrestling managers of all time during the 80s and uh, early 90s. And he also uh, created a large chunk of the wrestling themes of that era. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, he did the themes for a lot of the wrestlers that he was the manager for, one of, the, one of them being the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. Um, did he ever write a song called Keep On Wrestling? And just changed the words from Keep On Dancing, his old band's hit? Yes, he did. No, but Mean Gene did a version of uh, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Yeah, also on the Pile Driver album. Yeah. And uh, d- Dave, were you going to mention Honky Tonk Man's Pile Driver album song? Oh, I was. Where did it go? I don't know. It doesn't uh, matter. Oh, it was. You yeah. didn't like it. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was better than the Honky Tonk Man song, The Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, which was. I don't think it was ever his theme. Anyway, yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't make sense. I, um, I thought that maybe this song would fit into the I'm Bob Seger genre because of the boogie woogie piano. But then I saw that Honky Tonk Man, he's just kind of sadly traipsing around the independent, aka super cheap and poor wrestling circuit right now. So I'm, he's not a big enough success to be an I'm Bob Seger accolade. Well, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, the fact that he's still alive. Whoa. Is a huge success for a wrestler, yeah. especially from here, yeah. from his era. So much respect. Um, so as for the Honky Tonk Man, he was the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, and he also is the cousin of Jerry Lawler. He really uh, was. I looked it up. He he held that title for a long over a year. Yeah, I think he's held the longest ever, only once. Uh, he and he won it on an accident because another guy didn't show up, and oh, so they wow. said you're winning. Huh. And then he kept winning by cheating. For like a really long time. <laughs> what a great. heel. What a heel. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't play the guitar for shit, was better at using it as a weapon, but he could sing pretty decent to sell the character. But he, but this is key, but not well enough to be a good guy. See, if you can't sing kind of shitty, that's a good, How did that's Hulk a good Hogan tip get for the yeah. rest of uh, He didn't sing his songs. Was yeah. Hulk Hogan ever Intercontinental Champion? No. See, there were two, Steve. Do you remember? There, there were, were two. No. <laughs> no. Back, now there's a bunch. Yeah. But back then there were only two. Yeah. And it was you, you had your world and you had your intercontinental. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and usually it was. Wait, the, what's the difference between the world champion and the intercontinental? Intercontinental champion? is is uh, Me- Mexico, U.S. and Canada, like the Pan American Games. It's kind, oh, it's kind okay. of the, it's okay. kind of the junior title. And it was always those were the mid carders. Yeah. And then the, and then the yeah. main the main card guys. Ultimate Warrior spent a lot of time as intercontinental champion, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah, it was his first brush with greatness, and then. 
And then he actually was the Intercontinental Champion when he fought Hulk Hogan and won. And my wife has turned this episode off. Yeah. Oh, we can talk about her now. Damn it! That was nice. Yeah, kick ass. Okay, so for people who know wrestling, I bet this is a surprise to be so low, because um, it's maybe the most famous wrestler sung theme. Uh, this is the Heartbreak, heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels with Sexy Boy. Not it's, the air song. It's a, no. I presume. No, it's not. Uh, it's, a, it's a sweet tune. It's iconic. And of course, it was done by Jimmy Hart and J.J. McGuire. Uh, what a team. Uh, this <laughs> They're like the Lennon and McCartney of wrestling. Kind of, yeah, maybe. Uh, this is wait. I'm oh, yeah, well, I, 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 this feels like the exact same song as like there's a lot of songs like this, but Flesh and Blood by Poison comes to mind. You know, give me an inch, I'm gonna take it. It feels like that. Um, but I, there's a hundred songs like that. I, if anybody can think of what other song this reminds them of, let me know because it's been bugging me. I think Flesh and Blood is what I'm thinking of. Anyway. Um, I've always loved that in the 80s when dudes with these over-the-top personalities like Junkyard Dog, Ultimate Warrior, you know, those were the cool wrestlers. And then after the, they came out of fashion, guys like Shawn Michaels came around and they were super popular. Whoa! Pretty cool. But to me, Shawn Michaels sounds... It's a good song. Shawn Michaels sounds made up. Like, I believe Iron Sheik is a real name before anybody would name their kid Shawn Michaels. It's too normal. It's not real. Would it have been better if he went with his original surname of Hickenbottom? Yeah, yes. that would have helped me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was, at the time, a larger-than-life character. He was a he was a bit of a cad okay. with the ladies. Ah. He broke a lot of hearts. Uh, so this was after Sean broke away from his tag team, the Rockers, by kicking uh, partner Marty Janetti through a plate glass window at the at Brutus Barber <laughs> Brutus Beefcake's barbershop. It was very traumatizing. Uh, did, wait, did Brutus the Barber Beefcake really have a barbershop, or was it like a set? You didn't. Well, you set. thought it was okay. an ironic nickname, of course. <laughs> The guy had a cosmetology degree, just like one of the dudes in Poison. <laughs> These wrestlers, like, the lines between reality and wrestling blur so much sometimes. It was an interview segment. Okay. It was called The Barbershop. Okay. Oh, okay. And so, and so he brought these guys. The Rockers were having some troubles, so he okay. brought them together to talk it out. And they talked it out, and everything was good. And then he kicked them right through the glass. It was traumatizing. He cut off their hair, too. No, that was, yeah. Not, and we're not talking about Bruce the Barber? No, anymore. we're talking about... Yeah. Um, so Marty, so after that, after the tra traumatizing event, Marty would become a drug addict, and Sean would become the great one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Uh, so why is this number seven? Well, it's because he didn't sing the original. What? That's right. The original was sung by uh, Sensational Sherry Martell, who was Sean's manager at the time. Is this the song you were thinking of, JD? <laughs> yep, there it is. <laughs> uh, this was Peak Heel Sean. Damn it, I told you again. Uh, and her version worked better because it was it was more grating. Uh, uh, once she left his side, so did her version of the theme. Wait, so the, did he use her her version of the theme after she left him? No, that's what I just said. He stopped using her theme. He but used his. He, he re-recorded oh, the theme with his voice. What we heard first was her singing. No, what we heard it, first. so this song is about him. She's singing yes. about him. Yes, okay. singing, he's the sexy boy. Okay. This one's first. She left him. He recorded that other version that we heard before. 
Is that the timeline of Sexy yes. Boy? Yes. Okay. This was the first one. Okay, got it. And she's like, because she was she was like a bad guy manager. Okay. And she's like, this is the Sexy Boy. Yeah. And people are boo. I, I looked her up. I gotta say, she's a real tough looking lady. Um, I I would have to. It Whoa. Would be, it would take a very same, same solo, blowing Dave's mind once again. But it would have to take a very sexy voice. Does leap out at you though. Yeah. So, never mind. They didn't do any work on this, so they're I know, just going to keep know, so interrupting. I know. Interrupt me. Go hey, ahead. I did work, and I'm not interrupting. Yeah, yeah, you, you did, you did interrupt. Wait, she was yes. Wait. She's too tough for never mind. Go, go. Read yeah, well, anyway, she was awesome, guys. She was totally underrated worker. Came into the WWF at a time when they started to phase out women's wrestling. So instead of leaving, she pivoted and became an amazing heel manager. Her best sell was uh, it was Macho Man's turn by being a foil to the sweet Miss Elizabeth. She was great. Did she steal Macho Man from Miss Elizabeth? No, when he became bad, he didn't have anything to do with. Oh, okay. So he went with her. Six, six, six. Wait, why didn't I do number the beast? Shit. Okay. I love this. Uh, this is another reason it got knocked down. I found the Japanese take on Sexy Boy. This is Ricky Fuji with Sexy Storm. Uh, this man is long hair rock and roll, and this song rips. Yeah. This song is clunk rock. The cow's neck's getting sore. Uh, I had never heard of Ricky Fuji, uh, and it's about to go into, into a break at the beginning of the song for some reason. Um, Whoa! Uh, here he comes. Listen. When I look down the street, Whoa. I know I'm sexy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can tell by the way he's singing. I, I, I love this song. I just want to listen to it. Uh, his real name is uh, Masanori Morimura. Morimura uh, before, uh, anyways, uh, apparently he started training in the New Japan Dojo, but uh, left to become a shoot fighter, which is shoot is real, right? And uh, would, that would be the uh, seen as a UFC fighter today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's eventually went to train in the Hart Family Dungeon. I don't know if you guys remember Bret Hart, his very famous place. Uh, he eventually settled in Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Uh, with a gimmick similar to Shawn Michaels, a sexy Western rock and roll heartthrob, uh, this particular song was produced in FMW in 1995. What's Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling? I'm pretty sure it's a Japanese wrestling organization. And they okay. have a lot of crazy names over there. Um, I saw a publicity photo of this guy. He's got a real, like, Nippon Brett Michaels look. Is that how you say Japan, Japan in Japanese? Nippon? I think so. Good for me. <laughs> another, it's another fake name, Brett Michaels. I mean, come on, Brett Michaels? That's not real. It's not a real name, guys. It's what, yeah, it's what you do when you adopt your oh last God. name as your, or your middle name yeah. as your last name. And pluralize it. Like, my like my middle name is Michael, so if I wanted to do an alternate identity and become appealing, I'd just do Stephen Michaels. I'm, I'm Joe Daniels. It's not real. You're David B's. Yeah. My middle name is a last name, though, so it doesn't... What was it? Work. Was it B before? Yeah, it was Brian. There you go. That was a stupid name. It's a stupid <laughs> fucking name. Fuck you, mom. What was my dad? Oh, David Brian is the keyboardist in Bon Jovi. Yeah, but Brian Lyons? Come on, that's like a half-ass rhyme. Yeah. That's why I changed it when I got married. Good for you. All right, uh, were you going to say anything about this? 
Um, you were about wait, the oh, lyrics yeah. going on yeah, right now. On, yeah. Is, is, are they saying you got a chop? Chop suey? Is that what they're saying? Because does Ricky know he's Japanese? It seems insensitive to me to just assign chop suey to any Asian culture. Or really any culture in Asia since I think that dish was invented yeah, over was, here in yeah, America. Yeah, it was invented in, I think, uh, San Francisco. Uh, honestly, I don't know what they're saying, but I'm pretty certain it's not chop suey. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your brain connected those dots. Oh, Sounded right. to me like they're saying jump. Jump, do it. Okay. Like a Van Halen Nike crossover. Oh. Well, I think he is saying chop, but as a member of a Los Angeles-based karate-themed punk band, we put chop in a lot of our songs, like kick, chop, punch. And if he trained in a Japanese dojo, maybe he learned how to chop. Maybe that was one of his moves. Got a little martial arts. In yeah, his, he's uh, in frontier martial arts wrestling. Pretty sure it's jump, do it. Okay. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm kind of ra- I got a racist ear. Yeah, I guess we all heard what we wanted to there. Speaking of tag teams, here's a <laughs> whoop. Here's a classic cinema one-two punch. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, with your permission, I'd like to introduce my daughter, Liv. If that name sounds familiar, let me say, I'm sorry, you're just too damn loud. Maybe that'll connect it. That's Huey Lewis. Uh, he's here with Gwyneth Paltrow and cruising. This is a tag team. This is a one-two cinematic punch that emblazoned the silver screen so thoroughly they had to ditch celluloid for digital. This was the last movie shot on film. (laughs) So one day, Hollywood was like, we got this movie called Duets about a karaoke hustler. Who should we cast? How about that talent show judge from Back to the Future? He was pretty great. I wonder if he can sing. They looked him up, and lo and behold, his name is Huey Lewis, and he's actually the singer of a popular band in the 1980s. No shit. Yep. They're like, hey, wasn't he one of the bad guys in Die Hard? Yep. Yep. So as we all know, Huey Lewis has a huge schlong, but you probably didn't know that he also is an accomplished actor. And that his iconic Back to the Future line, you're too damn loud, was supposed to be an ironic wink because Huey Lewis in the News was such a fucking heavy-ass hardcore band. I learned so much from this podcast. Yeah, yeah. you remember that Husker Du song, Turn On the News? It was a real loud, hardcore punk song. They were telling you to turn on Huey Lewis mm-hmm. in the News, this their is- favorite ah. hardcore punk band. This song is probably too soft for you. Turn on the news. They'll really rock you. So, having found their male lead for duets, Hollywood teamed him up with their hottest actress, Gwen Goop Peltro, before she started sucking Coldplay's dick. And she and Huey, not you, sorry Steve, sparked together on the silver screen, ooh la la. The movie bombed, taking its $21 million production budget and turning it into $6.5 million at the international box office. (laughs) Not just American, but international. Across the globe. Wow. So did that make it the intercontinental film champion? (laughs) Sure did. It it was the last intercontinental film champion. (laughs) However, this song, a cover of Smokey Robinson's Cruisin', was considered a major smash in the countries that are most often the butt of jokes. (laughs) It was number one on the Australian charts, number one on the New Zealand charts, 
And how many Polish chart positions does it take to make this song a hit in Europe? 29. It also was number one on the U.S. adult contemporary charts, but no one makes jokes about America. But they do make jokes about the uh, adult contemporary charts. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what year is this from? Uh, this is like 2003? Was yeah. it oh, that? God, this is, so this is pretty was recent. Was that recent? I don't know. If it's around there, 99 relative, to 2003. Relative to the prime of Huey Lewis's career. 2002, 2001-ish. Yeah. Um, this is also kind of an uet because if you remember in the beginning, he introduces this, this lady as his daughter. Uh, and I think she's playing his daughter in the movie. I never saw it. Oh, yeah, he um, said he's going to introduce yeah. his daughter, Liv. I mean, but they're hustlers, so who knows what the deal is. They could be doing a big con. Yeah, but, that's true. But yeah. they're singing, but still, if, you know, you're in the audience and they're singing all sexy to each other like this, like, they're just singing about hard, lustful fucking. So uh, it could be part of the hustle, but it's been you at either way. So let me make this very clear, everyone. Duets is a movie where Huey Lewis plays a rambling karaoke a rambling karaoke hustler. Let that sink in and ask yourself why we have never sat down to watch it. What was the hustle? That's that's kind of where my head is too. Like, it was it was karaoke contest. I don't like, know. Was there a cast? Was there a cast prize? Yeah. So this this must have been prior to American Idol, which is like the modern version yeah. of the karaoke hustle. I guess he'd go up and he'd sing like he'd, he'd try to do a Journey song and blow it, and yeah. then yeah, I bet I bet you can't do this, and then he'd sing a really easy song like Cruising that's in a really easy range, <laughs> and you'd win his five thousand dollars and move on to the next town. I don't know. Seems like a great movie. We should, just do, we should write our own version of what we think this movie is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll probably be awesome. Whatever it is, I'm going to Blockbuster this weekend. I'm renting this. Open your mouth. Here comes number five. Okay, so this is arguably the OG of shoot songs. This is uh, Bad Street USA by the Fabulous Freebirds, or really Michael P.S. Purely Sexy Hayes doing all the singing on this. The Freebirds obviously were influenced by Leonard Skinner, and they took on a wild and crazy southern boy rock and roll image with, a, uh, with of course, lots of Confederate flags, as you would. Well, that's, you're going to have to. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to flout interrupt, but I want to get to this guy's nickname. It's purely Sexy. Yeah. That's the P.S. Yeah. That wasn't one You of waited until he stopped to interrupt him, man. You see, that's the difference. You waited until Hunter stopped before you interrupted him. When I am talking, you keep hearing guitar solos going, Ooh, listen to that guitar solo. You just interrupted me. I know. That. that was my and point. It hurt, didn't it? Furthermore, it hurt, didn't all it? I said was, whoa. And yeah. he got a laugh. That Sometimes you have to hurt. react spontaneously in the moment. Steve, I'm coming for you later. You gotta tune into I'm life. I'm coming for man. you later. You gotta tune into life, man. My baby. interruption during yours was natural. Well, I wasn't just trying to get something in there. I was like, whoa! I had a, it's a, it's a I had, good solo. I had a very weak sentence that I wrote that I had to concentrate <laughs> to get through to make it work. Hunter? My, my point was. The purely sexy. The sexy thing is recurring. All these guys want to be sexy. Sexy boy. Yeah, like I said, uh, good fun time party boys. Yeah. Or it also could work with heels, too, because you're arrogant. getting at him, thinking he's a bad guy. Um, I think it really depends. These guys in particular depended where they were. They were in Texas, bad guys. Georgia, good guys. Oh. Yeah, the old Mason-Dixon line. I get it. <laughs> 
So at the start, they came to the ring with Freebird, the song Freebird, because they were obviously the free words uh, Leonard Skinner. Uh, but in the 80s, it started getting more difficult and more expensive to license songs. So wrestling organizations started hiring in-house talent, like previously mentioned Jimmy Hart. So the Freebirds decided, hey, fuck it. We'll make our own song and we'll do a music video. And this is it. If you, if you listen to these songs and you like sort of imagine a better performer <laughs> singing somebody. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them are really good and really catchy. You, you know, the songwriters probably could have, you know, if they could have recorded with actual talent, they might have been able to quit embarrassing themselves, prancing around like multiple concussion clowns. Multiple. That's, That's what wrestling is to me, guys. Uh, Why didn't you interrupt that one? Because it was well written. Thank you. Also, there was no guitar solo going on. Uh, so the Freebirds were a three-man tag team, which consisted of Mike, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. Oh, Terry Gordy. Yeah, and they are notable. The Toe guy. They're, they're <laughs> Toe Town. They are notable for introducing, and you guys will like this, the Freebird rule, whereas any two members of the team could defend the title at any time. So you got three guys. Mm-hmm. Two of you could defend the title. So one okay. of them could have a bye week. Yeah. I get it. Oh, thank God. Sit around the wing. Uh, so know. unfair the yeah. other way that they did it. Your legs hurting this week. Yeah, Why don't you take get a trip to Toe Town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, that rule has been used over and over to this day. They traveled all over the NWA territories. Compton? NWA territories uh, are the National Wrestling Alliance. It was a loose alliance of uh, little territory, these little like gangster carny territories all over, and nobody could cross the borders. So this was like basically getting all the gangsters together. Yeah, turf war. Yeah, and saying, "All right, guys, we're gonna have a deal." It was very, uh, it was very Godfathery. Um, uh, so oh, they're, they're going to unite all the gangs like Cyrus and the Warriors. That's exactly what happened. That's, that was the NWA territories. Anyway, they also for Cyrus. They also competed in the AWA, the WWF, and WCW, and they're arguably one of the greatest tag teams of all time. What what era were they were during this song? This would be the golden era, I guess. Okay. Mostly '80s. Uh, they didn't hit it big in the WWF. They're more of a Southern territory. Uh, group of guys so they aren't well known as and also the brazen use of the rebel flag has become problematic so you don't yeah. see a lot of yeah, perspectives on this yeah. um, but it's history yeah <laughs> it I, belongs in a museum <laughs> i was able to find a credit for this one and it was written by hayes and uh with larry velez and jimmy papa uh, both guys appeared to be in-house musicians for WCW for a time. As <laughs> Nobody, they went bankrupt. They had in-house musicians. Uh, <laughs> for a time, they're only other... They're a wrestling league. Well, you, you had to because you had to make your own songs, Steve. It was cheaper that way because you own the songs after you made yeah, it. Yeah, it's actually a great business move, but it's really shitty for the songwriters because I, I can't imagine they had good contracts. I doubt it. The only other uh, credit I could find was uh, the album Slam Jam 1, theme songs to the WCW stars. Anyways, those guys who wrote it. We should have a countdown of this guy's countdown bumpers, yeah. there, right? Okay, so remember that Vince McMahon song from the intro? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can't get it out of my head. Well, this is off the same album, the Wrestling Album 2, Pile Driver. There we go. And this is the title track, Pile Driver, from Coco Beware, and written by M. McDonald. No idea who that is. And Jim Johnston, 
who was brought into the WWF about the same time Hart was, uh, but has continued to this day be the main musical force behind original WWE music, although his wow. grip is slipping to the kids these days. That's another story. Yeah. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a niche. What a niche to fill make in a your lot, life. I mean, the guys made lots of songs. The uh, Pile Driver album was uh, part two of the wrestling album. It was a follow-up. Uh, mostly things that weren't good enough to get on the first album. Let that sink in. Some of them. I don't think all of them were. Some. It was released on cassette in 87. It was a VHS tape that had eight out of ten videos for the songs. And it was never released on CD. A very limited release came out on vinyl for Record Store Day a couple of years ago. And uh, and now uh, sits in my collection, which is why I've heard a lot of these. The... Uh, I'm sure a lot of Mean Gene stuff was, uh, was cut from the first one. Well, yeah, he's on the cover, but he doesn't. I don't think he sings on it. It's another great song. It's sort of shit, shit it up by the performance. Yeah. It's like another songwriter shackled by Vince McMahon and made just write incredible songs for pennies. I would imagine the uh, in-house writers had slightly worse contracts than the performers. Yeah. yeah who this time probably who weren't, uh, weren't doing too well themselves. Uh, Johnson should be mentioned as he is responsible for, like I said, um, so many well-known themes like The Undertaker and Steve Austin. In addition to those themes, he also did the bulk of the music for TV and promos and commercials for, for wrestling's most profitable time period, and also the XFL. Oh, yeah! Boy, nobody talks about the XFL anymore. I just did. I'm assuming that this is from the pre-autotune era, but the Coco Beware kind of wishes it was from the post-autotune era. Um, was his wrestling style more consistent than his in-song singing style, Hunter? Okay, well, let's talk about Coco. Uh, well, he was known for bringing a giant macaw to the ring and flapping his arms around. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes singing his other theme, Bird. Where he <laughs> this just is like, the nerdiest fucking shit. Uh, this this one, the pile driver, it was more of a pop song. It didn't uh, really fit his character, so he didn't use it for very long. But I'm using it here as he belts it out, and uh, it's the lead single, so he's pretty good at it. Um, I think he I think he nails it as best as could, as best as anybody else in the Fed could at the time. Uh, this guy was mostly a fan favorite, JD, to answer okay. your question. But he was a bit of a jobber. It means he uh, lost to a lot of the other guys. Okay. Uh, and Hunter is jobber where jabroni came from. Is that, is that the etymology of the term jabroni? Possibly. Yes. Possibly. I don't know. Uh, and anyways, uh, but Coco, even though he lost a lot, uh, he would go on to become a Hall of Famer in 2009, most because of his charisma, not because of that win-loss record. We get to choose. Well, win-loss records really matter in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. <laughs> we get to choose if he was a bad guy or a good guy. I think he was a good guy. I think he was a good guy, too. I think I remember him being a good guy. He's one of the more popular guys on this list. Yeah, I just said he was a fan favorite. Well, bad guys can be fan favorites. It's true. Now, yeah, I love now. the Iron Sheik. I follow the Iron Sheik on Twitter. He's a good Twitter follow. <clears throat> Three. Bitch. <laughs> Man. Guys, get an attitude. <laughs> and why did we open our mouth for five? What do you mean? He said, "Open your mouth. It's number five. I oh, don't know. Wasn't paying attention. If he had said number two, yeah, never mind. I was trying to do <laughs> number two. Gotcha. 
Uh, so here's one from across the pond. Ah. Uh, I don't know much about British wrestling from the 1970s and 80s. I've heard of names like Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy. And I heard of one other one that's Adrian Street, who played the often imitated flamboyant dandy, who challenged the sexuality of the audience with his androgynous look and over-the-top campy performance. Uh, this is his song, Imagine What I Could Do to You, from, I think, 1986? The album, uh, he made it, it was called, he, it was on an album he made, it was called Shake, Wrestle, and Roll. <laughs> and from what I could tell, it was co composed by Adrian and Don Woods, whoever Don Woods is, I, no idea. Is this a glam song? This is, is this it's what glam sounds like? Is this Captain Sensible? Steve, would you say this is glam, not knowing it was a wrestling song? Would you hear this and go, oh, this is, sounds like a glam song? Maybe not pure glam, but I, I like, oh, I would, I would think, yeah, there's a British guy, probably from like the punk or new wave era, who's grown up on glam and and is doing something like that, yeah. Especially if he's challenging sexuality, I'd, I'd say this is absolute glam. Um, well, well, Adrian Street was certainly glam, and since half of maybe most of glam was the look, then I would say, yeah, this is definitely glam. This is actually kind of a fun song. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of fun songs on this countdown today, Steve. Uh, Adrian Street is from Wales and the son of a coal miner. And there are great pictures of him dressed up, flashy with his makeup next to his dad. You can find them on the internet. I looked it up. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, uh, he also would thre he threatened to coal mine his homophobic audience. And if you know what I mean, it means butt fuck them, pull poop out on his dick like an olive on a toothpick. That's coal mining, guys. It's a new sex term I invented. Oh. Coal mining. That's gonna catch on. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's mean you go in the back alley and coal mine. That's what you say to a potential lover. I see. <laughs> um, I, I guess. I would want to know who was initiating and who was being mined for coal. Yeah, and, you, yeah. and who, which like, are you guys gonna get black lung disease from that? <laughs> that's a, that's a complication. That's why you had to be when careful. Does, where does the canary come? <laughs> the canary in the coal mine. This is fun. This is a fun sex thing. I think <laughs> I think we have a new podcast to start. I think uh, I think we're gonna tap into a niche. All right. Well, back to Adrian Street. Here, he actually started wrestling in 1957 at the age of 16, and his last match was in 2000. 10 at the age of 70. He says by that time he, he had somewhere between 12,000 and 15,000 matches, which is insane. And he's truly a rare bird, as most wrestlers, like I said, struggle to live to 40, unfortunately. Anyways, I like this song. It's a real lame... This little song's all about how tough he is, and there's some real lame lyrics in there, in here, like, I can, I can pick my teeth with the nearest billiard cue. I think that's like the British version of, like, the American shaving with an axe. And yeah, but like, like, it doesn't mean you're tough. It means that you have huge gaps between your teeth. Yeah. It's just not... Well, he was, he was British. He was British, yeah. It's more yeah. like he's a giant. Like he's going to grind your bones to make his bread. I, I get it. He was a big guy. That picture next to his little coal mine and dad. I actually think he's little. I think oh. he's like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, but his dad but is like... But he's a huge bodybuilder. Because the picture next to his dad, if he's 5'6", then his dad must be 4'8". Or <laughs> <laughs> just hunched over from being in a mine all day. Yeah, This is a jam. <laughs> so here's another uh, real song from an album. 
uh, that be- also became a theme. And this is Junkyard Dog with Grab Them Cakes from the first The Wrestling album by the WWF. Yeah. And, That's uh, a promising title. Well, it's, it's The Wrestling album. Oh. And it was produced by the WWF. Uh, no, I meant Grab Them Cakes is oh. a promising title. Okay. Uh, and is this about grabbing butts? Well, let me get to that part. Well, yes, it is. Well, okay, I'll all spoil right. the surprise. Uh, and, let's see. Oh, it's not the first time we've heard a song from this album. Uh, that would have been Hulk Hogan's theme during the Jim Steinman episode. Yep. That's on that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was an album trying to monetize the rock and wrestling angle, and they got Rick Derringer to produce it with uh, Dave Wolf, who was Steve Lopper's manager at the time. Uh, this was written by Wolf, George Pavlis, and Vern Taylor. Taylor and Pavlis played with Vicky Sue Robinson, who is on the background vocals. Huh. Yeah, this song is real good. It's super good. The bar is really low today. <laughs> Derringer is all over the wrestling songs. Well, he was that producing- time, on those albums he was because he was yeah. a producer. Wasn't he producing Weird Al at the same he time? He was. Yeah, Rick Derringer produced the first several Weird He's, Al. Albums. Rick Derringer basically produces like the Orange County Fair, <laughs> like yeah, the entire, the entire thing. This is a good dance boss song, um, but it's about grabbing butts. So this dance boss, he's he's a sexual. He'd be accused of sexual harassment at the workplace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, the, uh, in this. Particular Particular thing, it's it's a dance with your partner. So I'm assuming cake grabbing is consensual. It's consensual? I don't know. Also, because also I, I'm pretty sure both partners are supposed to grab. Cakes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, I sound a little bit like a wolf man again. See, she's howling. Oh, okay. She's grabbing. Some All cakes, right, it's consensual. <laughs> I have another question. Um, did anyone hear Junkyard Dog making an explosion sound with his mouth in the chorus? Got to listen to this song because in the chorus there's like an explosion sound effect, and then I swear somebody goes. <laughs> it's really great, Steve. <laughs> like, no, you can't enjoy that, conference. Steve. You blew it. You should have listened to it this week. You blew it. <laughs> Hunter, I have another question. Okay, yes, JD. Uh, anyone getting like a gas band vibe from this performance? I'm, you dropped a bomb on me. I, I have and, Ghostbusters on this. Any gap band song, I, Oops Upside Your Head. Yeah. It's like some funky song, and then they're talking, but it's not really a rap. Uh, well, so I. I hear, I hear Ghostbusters because he's talking about there's a new dance in your neighborhood. Oh, okay. But I, that's just me. Uh, but Vicky Sue Robinson, she's the one. She's the good singer on this. Uh, she's best known for her 1968 hit "Turn the Beat Around." Uh, she also did uh, what I found might be a Yatsko song with my, with the Michael McDonald penned "Nothing But a Heartache," released in 1980 on the most disco record label ever, Areola Records. Cool. <laughs> uh, as for Junkyard. He's not bad at singing this. He's not that bad. He was a star in uh, Mid-South Wrestling, becoming a top face for a long time before moving to WWF in the mid-'80s. There he perfected the art of doing dog-type moves, like barking, biting, and getting down on all fours to headbutt his opponent. Uh, it's this one man's opinion that he's incredibly misused in the WWF, but nevertheless, he was over and became a Hall of Famer in 2004. You want to hear this part? If I could expostulate just momentarily, I don't know. No? Okay. Now I kind of want to know what he was about to say. Yeah, I wanted to hear him expostulate. I got you number one right here, buddy. All right. Love this song. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is the best. Of course, it's a Jimmy Hart creation. How could he could he not be number one? From Montreal to Memphis, I live in France. 
I just want to listen Is to this Plastic Bertrand? Uh, no, these guys are Canadian. Plastic Bertrand, I think, was Belgian. Belgian. Yeah. Here, listen to this. Listen to this. Wait, not this part. Uh, they're all American boys. This is the fabulous Rougeau brothers with all American boys from uh, around 1988. You see, the Rougeaus played sort of a smart-ass, rude French Canadians. Here, listen to this part. You yeah. blew it, Steve. These guys sound great. <laughs> nope, they're heels. He's, no, he's yeah, bad guys. the good guys. Bad guys. Uh, nope. They, Incorrect. They're smart-ass, rude French Canadians. Uh, and in a genius parody of patriotism, they decided to piss off the crowd by falsely claiming that they were pro-American and moving from Montreal to Memphis. And they'd come to the ring with these tiny little flags and they'd wave <laughs> them around with smirks on their face. Uh, which is which is hilarious because you know a good American comes with a big flag and like right. does these big waves and they had these tiny little flags and they did these little French waves. I looked up these guys and they kind of look like two grown male cousins who live in a rural area that you don't want to spend much time with. Um, they're, 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 I mean their look is like re- very it's very regular. One has a, like a wispy little mustache. They look they look like plumbers or roofers, but they were were they charismatic like. Yeah, they were they were solid wrestlers and they were they played great smart asses. Okay, uh, and they cut weird French Canadian promos. I, I thought they were great. No, oh, okay, they're good. fun. Uh, and, like, and when they were in Montreal, they were they were like the biggest draw there, one of the biggest draws. Yeah. There. I love that they're claiming to be all American boys while they sing in French. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, they were real life brothers, uh, Jacques and Raymond. Uh, by the way, I always mistakenly called Jacques Renault and the Renault brothers from Twin Peaks. Renault? Or Renault, excuse me. Renault. Sorry, Brousseau. Brousseau. I was laughing out there because of my pronunciation. Yeah. I think you were Matt talking Brucey about... <laughs> yeah, Matt, when we met Brousseau, he was like, hey, my name is Matt Brousseau. Hey, hey. And then we found out how it spells like Brousseau. It's like a French. <laughs> yeah. He's acting all tough and Italian all the time with his cool low voice. He's yeah. French. Anyways, I, t- I always called those guys in Twin Peaks the Rougeaus. <laughs> Jacques Rougeau. Uh, they, were, they were a wrestling family in Montreal where they were big stars before making their way to the WWF, where in 1987 they, they as faces, won the, won the titles, only to be stripped. Fucking bullshit. What? Yeah, acknowledge those title change. That title change, WWE. And they became bad guys after that. Uh, that would have turned me, too. Yeah, exactly. Ray would uh, later go on to do French commentary for WWF, and uh, Jacques would become the Mountie, <laughs> a dastardly foreign officer. Uh, I think he would go on to record two other shoot songs, and they uh, they two were great. He was just like, "I'm the Mountie." Hey, that was basically yeah. That's that's a that's a 180 turn from All American Boy. There's a shit ton of these songs, isn't there? Like, I started to dick around on the net to find out what all these goofballs look like, and, like, man, they were all singing. Yeah. Every last one I, of them. I don't... Not not really. There were, there, were, there were a lot of songs, obviously, but... And there were two albums where the wrestlers sang, but actually, like, doing their themes. Not a ton. It's just been, like, 35 years of doing these themes. Also, a lot of wrestlers were give, giving credit for singing, like, The Million Dollar Man, but he was actually just, like, talking. Well, I think a lot of wrestlers, especially at that time, jumped at the chance to do something else like sing or act because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Hunter, you know a lot more about this than I do, is they got like, you know, maybe four or five hundred bucks a match. I mean, well, I mean, the, no, they the, did better than that. The, the, the lower level ones, but 
You know, I, I they, think we they talked given, about. I think we talked about this at one point for some reason that they also they they did movies because they wanted like union health care. Yeah, SAG. yeah. Like some dude had a big old cyst that almost killed uh, CM Punk. Actually, uh, was told. I he, mean, he was making good money. He was, but he didn't have the the health insurance. No, they're no, they don't provide health health insurance. Which is insane. Yeah, which is crazy. And Vince McMahon's a billionaire. That's, Fuck that guy. That's one of the reasons why they're. <laughs> of course, he's a billionaire. That's one of the reasons why they're insurance. they're an entertainment company and not a, a wrestling company anymore is because uh you have to be sanctioned no like they used to the the wwf used to be sanctioned by by like new jersey they had to like <laughs> or, or new york the, the, the toughest place to get a sanction their, their refs were actually like sanctioned like even though it was fake everybody knew it was fake they would have to get sanctioned yeah that's them. like uh having a degree a degree from an, an accredited like college this, like the same boxing organization i don't know it's crazy there's a lot of crazy stuff going on back then yeah but no still no health insurance they Jesus. get paid a lot better back then like the early parts of these songs in those territories before they made it to new york they all went to new york for the wwf because they got paid better there still no health insurance but those those little guys that yeah. sucks hey what did make the list guys hey i found one i found one uh it's called jive soul bro yeah. By a guy named Slick. Uh, I was off that Pile Driver album. Pile Driver album. It's a and great album. Yeah, there's a video for it. The video was absolutely painful. <laughs> yeah, they put out a VHS yeah, of all this stuff. Slick is some kind of pimp. I get the intro. He's a manager. Okay, the also in- a pimp. The intro to the video, which must have been debuting during a wrestling match, it's introduced by a voice. I think it's Mean Gene, and he says Pile Driver album spawned eight videos. That must be the VHS tape that he's yeah. talking about. Ten songs on the album, well, eight I, videos, I and know, stories behind the video. Uh, or behind the well, I, I know how I'm spending my Friday night. Yeah, well, well, I would have had Jive Soul Bro on this, but Slick was just a manager. Okay, you know, and this is a theme for the wrestlers. Uh, but he did use his theme for like his wrestlers, like Akeem the African Dream. Okay, who was just a white guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a few on the pile driver album uh, most notably waking up alone by hillbilly jim <laughs> and gertrude but it wasn't used as a theme uh, his, his the the one on the first wrestling album he sang his theme on yeah, that one i almost used yeah. that but that was, that was well, hill, too... hillbilly jim there's your fat hillbilly that uh yeah. that the fans love uh i'm gonna go back to honky tonk man by the honky tonk man which he actually used for most of his career all right, good job, everyone. Steve, what do we got coming up next? Uh, I'm turning heel, and I'm doing ten more Cubs songs. Ha-ha! <laughs> gotcha. Now we're doing, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a genre I'm going to call synthesize. Steve, you have to be a face to turn heel. <laughs> Think about it, bro. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm not going to mark out for that joke, Hunter. Yo, we got some business. Bumpers a day, sent in by Jamie Ortel. Check out his music. JTHomeSlice.bandcamp.com and SoundCloud.com backslash JTHomeSlice. Jamie put out an EP earlier this year, and and he also has some covers of uh, game music as well. He'll he's always working on more stuff. So follow him, you dingbats. Uh, oh, also we're gonna make a new run on T-shirts. So head over to YachtRock.com backslash merch booth. To pre-order uh, your out-of-stock sizes, grab one of the last ones while the other sizes are still hanging around. Oh, we also have these great cocoa buttons. Let me tell you something. i got a special deal for you people at home. A special deal. If you order or pre-order a T-shirt between now and November 1st, I'm going to throw in... They already come with Gene Mead buttons. I'm going to throw in a cocoa face button. You are going to be looking slick out there in the sheets. Just order... Out there in the streets and the sheets, just order that before November first. <laughs> order in the sheets. Um, you know, the, we wearing should... your cocoa button in the sheets. Oof. Another piece of merch we have coming up are these uh, Beyond Yacht Rock Season One commemorative tote bags. 
<laughs> it's a great design by my wife. <laughs> Finally. Uh, it's all these genres from our first 50 episodes in this cool boat shape. We'll probably be selling uh, a tote cocoa button combo package uh, on the site. Eventually, we can get your your button multiples right now. Um, you, know, you know what I call those totes? Hmm. Call those record bags. It, mm-hmm. it is a record bag. It, yeah. Is, yeah. it fits records perfectly, and I love those. I just wanted to get it to my house and put records in it before I called it a record bag. Right? Uh-huh. Make sure it wasn't like half an inch too small, the, um, and your records start bowing. The measurements, they should hold records nicely, but I want to make sure. I mean, yeah. you can only probably take five, six. Um, the, totes, the totes and buttons are also going to be special gifts for active patrons at the quartermaster level in November, so become a quartermaster before the end of October is through on Patreon, and you get your tote and your button. You know what else you're going to get? Nicknames. Yeah, I did some nicknames. I Qu- promise. Coxswains and above get nicknames, and Hunter does a good job. All right, here we go. You ready? They had to sit through this whole episode. <laughs> it was to, this was supposed to be a short episode. I didn't write a lot yeah. on this. It was pretty short. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, you made it through, so here's your reward. We got David Dabameo Accord. We got Josh Oogie Boogie Bonwell. <laughs> we got Mike Beef on Steck. We got, do you guys know the reference to that? Beef Steck. <sighs> no, Beef on Weck, you know? No. That's, a, that's, oh. a, that's like a buffalo thing. Oh. Yeah, it's, oh, the, like, it's the third W in BW3. Yeah, buffalo, wildlings, and Weck. There it is. Oh. Nailed it. Uh, we got Diana, Lady of La Mancha Bonuelos. Hope I pronounced that right. And we got Paul Keyboard Stain Kulas. All right. Keyboard Stain. <laughs> Old Keyboard Stain. <laughs> All right. Those are your nicknames. Find this week's uh, playlist. There are a lot of them are on YouTube, but if you follow me on Spotify, get some of them. Go to yachtrock.com. It's a useful experience. Go to yachtandyacht.com to take a look at the Yacht Scale. Oh, and on yachtrock.com, I wrote a review of Michael McDonald's album. And the captain's blog, uh, I wrote a review of his latest album, and I'm going to review all of Michael McDonald's albums, even the Christmas and Motown ones, uh, going in backwards order, so I can sort of fantasize that he's slowly returning to relevance. <laughs> um, and then slowly <laughs> slipping out of rel- relevance, like right at the beginning? No, right at the beginning, it's if that's what it takes. That's the last one. It's the Grand Finale. Oh, it's solo. Yeah. Just a yeah. solo. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, what else? Oh. Uh, send questions via Twitter or Yacht Rock. Like us on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to Produso Matt Brusso. Thanks to the entire Feral Audio family. And check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. Mm-hmm.